Welcome to Miami Creators. I am your host, Corrado. I am a photographer out of beautiful, sunny Miami, Florida. And each week, I bring you the inspiring stories behind Miami's most influential businesses, individuals, entrepreneurs, and more. On today's episode, we are joined by Shay Scott. Shay has been Miami's MBA chaplain for over 12 years. He heads up the Brickle Soul Project and has written books like The New Guy Code and launched programs like Eight Years in Eighth Grade to give teenage boys a foundation for the way they conduct relationships with women as adults. Today, you'll hear Shay and I discuss how he works with MBA athletes and advises them during difficult personal or professional times, what inspired Brickle Soul, and how he's using the Honor Movement platform to influence a generation of boys and girls to honor and respect each other in thoughts, words, and actions. So, without further ado, please enjoy this delightful and inspiring conversation with Jay Scott. Jay, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, man. Honored to be here. So I've known you for quite a few years now. We initially met at Toastmasters while you and I were going through that. Yeah. I have to say, man, I always found the prepared speeches that you gave incredibly inspiring, unless I was speaking to you. I was like, oh, that's not going to be a good setup for, for making sure that I get a, a win or anything like that. No, so you were no. not a good guy to follow on an unprepared <laughs> speech state. So I feel the same way about you, man. <laughs> So, you know, you do a lot of stuff for the community. You have so many different titles, so many different things going on. For the listeners who may not know who Che is, why don't you give them a little bit of an intro, what you do, all the things that you've got going on? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't necessarily always feel comfortable talking about what I do now or any kind of accolades or anything like that. But I love to talk about my upbringing. Born in Jamaica, a very rural area. So, um coming from a very large family, grandparents were farmers. So kind of always grew up with that rural mentality that people first, you know, you take care of your neighbor, you look out for others. And so I think for me, it was uh, trying to, today still trying to bring those values that I got from my grand, my grandmother, my grandfather, you know, things that my parents passed down to me. And how do you kind of mold the, that into a concrete jungle, you know, bring that to the urban setting. So bringing that neighborly feel to to communities like like this. So whether it's something with athletes and trying to encourage them when they're going through a tough time, but also allow them to understand and, and challenge them to understand that their voices and their um, platform matters. And uh, ultimately, I think we should all be focused on making the world better, you know, in one way or the other. What that looks like for you may be different than for me, but I think that's my focus is always, you know, how what what was uh, the world that I came into? How can I continue to make it better? How can I mold it for the next generation and beyond? Let's start with that, since you kind of um, yeah. talked a little bit about it. Give the listeners a sneak peek of what you mean by kind of like coaching some of these athletes or talking to them and encouraging them Basically, it's an NBA chaplain role. So it's just I'm currently in Miami. So the Miami Heat is the the home base. But we we have a program that we do 
with athletes, um, which is actually 60 minutes before game time. So after this, I will be heading over to the arena to meet with the Heat and the Jazz. And it's uh, meeting with those guys and provide a, a base for what um, what they're doing. You know, basketball is good and fun and entertaining and it's big business as well, too. But at the end of the day, it's just a game. You know, it's not um, there's real stuff happening in the world. You know, just like me and you, they have fears. You know, they, they may have a, uh, a nicer car that they're fear, you know, right. fearful in or a, you know, a bigger house. But, you know, at the end of the day, mom still gets sick. A niece or a nephew, nephew is still born premature. And, you know, we still got to deal with life. So it's, it's ultimately being able to provide a human perspective, because ultimately you see when the average person sees an athlete on the street or see them on the court, we don't think about it. I wonder what he's struggling with. Um, we just know that he runs fast or he jumps high or she runs fast or jumps high, you know, what right. I mean? but we don't think about so the that. So that, that I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sure that somehow compounds whatever mm -hmm. it is that they're going through because Absolutely. the pressure is there to kind yeah. of keep up with mm -hmm. the, everything is good. I'm this public yeah, person yeah. and you know, mm -hmm. everybody's just coming at you saying, yes, mm -hmm. you're surrounded by yes, men or two people that want something from you. Absolutely. So, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And you don't, and unfortunately, you know, a lot of those guys, by the time they find that out, it's too late. And so it's, I think we have a, a, a great opportunity because there is nothing to gain on our side. It's just you about you, but right. um, yeah, but more so being able to engage with them on a human level. And so how does that work? So you're, you're there 60 minutes before each game. Is it, you're basically, are you preparing kind of like a speech or a, or a small message for them or are they, is it yeah. based on what they want to talk about? What, mm -hmm. what's that like? Yeah. I, you know, I usually go in prepared with something. And, you know, ultimately, I want to know what they're going through and what they're dealing with and how can we, you know, connect on something. And, you know, it, it all depends on on the time of the year. You know, you may have come middle of February, January, when the trade deadline deadline comes and guys don't know if they're going to be living in the city that they're currently living in or living in the next city or, you know, am I going to have to move my kids? You know, are we going to have to move? Are we going to pack? You know, so you start to deal with a little bit of anxiety and you see guys getting stressed. And um, then you, you also go to another side of the year where, you know, guys are dealing with disappointment. We're not on pace to make the playoffs and we're just running through this or there's an injury and we're not coming back till next year. And so it's just really knowing how to gauge what they're going through. Um, it helps for me that I'm a, actually a fan of the game. So I, I'm able to be aware of where teams are and what's going on, a general sense of the, you know, the team. I remember one time um, last, I think it was uh, last year, maybe the year before, where there was a player whose, uh, whose wife had a, a pretty severe surgery, had to, uh, almost had to remove an eye and um, just being able to know that that was happening, you know, and to be able to engage that way or, you know, see here a, a, a player talks about, you know, whose mom is like in the hospital and, you know, that's not public information, but they still want to be encouraged and to be prayed for and all that kind of stuff. What is that conversation like when you're talking with that person? Yeah. What what are you sharing with them? What yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's ultimately that it, it's it's hope, you know, it's that, that that famous hashtag now, the best is yet to come. You know, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter what we're going through right now. The best is yet to come. I think for me, though, the, on the practical side, for me, I, what I've learned is as much as I love watching sports and I love the game, that all has to go away once I walk into a locker room. None of my biases matter. You know, I don't I can't like this guy and dislike that guy. And I can't treat Michael Jordan or LeBron different than the guy that's on a 15 day contract. And I, I learned a real important lesson about that, you know, just being a 
a heated fan. And I, I remember, especially when the, our Miami Heat was going through like a, a great run a couple of years ago, obviously the uh, four years we went to the finals, you know, there was one particular guy for the Celtics that I was like, man, that guy's so jer-. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, I'd like to fight that dude. <laughs> you know, possibly, like, I'd love to see like somebody put hands on him. And I can honestly say I, I ran into him one time before one of our chapels and met him in the locker room. Probably the most kindest encounter I've ever had with a player. And, you know, in 10 years of being there, you know, one of the most genuine. And so you, for me, I have to learn that I, I have to separate any kind of biases that I have. And, you know, these guys are idols for, mm-hmm. for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like to be in your shoes when you can like, maybe you're tuning into a game or something like that. And you can see the real person going back to this, yeah. this conversation mm-hmm. that you had meeting this guy that as far as you knew, you were like, Oh man, I don't yeah. really, I can't really stand this guy, mm-hmm. but getting to know them personally, what does that feel like? It's humbling in a way because you realize we're all humans. And um, I, I think the player that I've probably the, the most significant stories in the timeline with throughout the years is, is Jeremy Lin and not necessarily the person who I've interacted with the most, but just watching his journey and seeing it from a guy sleeping on the couch, not sure if he's going to survive in the NBA to, you know, here we are what, oh, nearly 10 years later and so much stuff. And I remember last year I walked into a chapel and it, it was so funny. Maybe I was rushed that day, but he had gotten traded again. And it was so fast that I didn't even remember that he was on, on the Raptors now, you know, wow. like, because like I walked in, I'm like, Jeremy, <laughs> you know? And um, I remember later in the year, I I shared this with him that he seemed so defeated. You know, he could tell, like, I had moved so many times, packing bags and all that kind of stuff. And seeing him in there, like, even even a little bit downcast, I was like, this is a good opportunity. And, you know, a couple months later, uh, NBA championship ring. You know, so to kind of see that journey that the guys go through, you know, and um, again, you may have the resources to buy a new apartment in every city. But that doesn't mean you have to. You, you want know, to move. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And none of us, like very few of us, have jobs where somebody can just say, okay, you live in Utah now or you live in Seattle now. No warning. You're just, right. that's just what it is. Yeah. Right. So I think stuff like that. So I know that your work with these athletes mm-hmm. also aligns with what you're trying to share with younger kids, right? Absolutely. So you're not just waiting until they become NBA no, stars to no. share your message mm-hmm. and your, your values and helping them with whatever it is that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Talk to the listeners a little bit about what you've been doing for the past few years with your books and everything about reaching younger kids, younger men. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's for me, it's the um, sharing truth and wisdom with the next generation. I think that's just my life's passion. And I started an organization called Eight Years in Eighth Grade a few years ago. And the idea was that if we were to teach a certain level of um, values and virtues, to a middle schooler by the time uh, they were 14 years old. And if we were able to track with them for another eight years, and by that time they're uh, a senior in college, unless they party too much like myself, then they're doing their fifth year um, <laughs> in college. I feel like if we can do that and share values and track with them, then we can actually look back after a certain period of time and say, wow, we saw a huge shift in the culture. And so when I first started, I, I started writing these books called The New Guy Code. It was all honor, honor, the new guy code. So honor was the basis of the new guy code. And it, it was the idea that, you know, as we have to teach boys to treat girls with respect. And we all know how we want our sisters to be treated. We 
we want we know how we want our daughters to be treated we we know what we want our mom to be treated or how we wish she would have been treated but yet we disconnect from how we treat other women we disconnect those feelings from how we treat other women and so much of that is our teaching so you know when i, I remember when i was in middle school i just wrote about this in a new set of books i, I just started this new high school middle school it was the first year that a middle school was open and there was one kid in particular who was probably he was held back and he had an early birthday. So, you know, we were 13, 14. He was probably could have drove to middle school. Right. You know, he's probably almost 16. And he just came in with all of these ideas about girls. So we remember being at the uh, lunchroom and, you know, talking about my girls' privates and all this kind of stuff. And you, you start to realize from that experience that I, I think we all start to think about girls in, at a certain age and we, you know, we have an attraction to them. But nobody ever tells us the right way to go about that, you know. So usually it's some other boy who's saying, you got to. Well, it sounds like he knows what yeah, he's talking exactly. about, right? But yeah. he's also trying to figure it out. Right. And so it's like you and he probably was he probably had a bad mentor, too. You know, he probably has an older cousin, older brother who's telling him something uh, or seeing something at home. You know, so it was like you got to grab her. You got to touch her. You got to do this. You got to sneak a peek. You know, it's like all that kind of stuff. And you just realize that that's not that's not healthy. And, you know, the, the sad part after all this stuff happened and I don't, I don't really get into 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 hashtag movements because those things get manipulated so easily. But one of the things when when the Me Too movement came about, you know, one of the thoughts that I had that it was it was it was crazy to see all this stuff happening and all of the stories that came out of that. But what, what I don't think a lot of us understand, that's happening in the safest part of the world for women. Imagine being in other parts of the world and imagine the stories that would break if they had a movement like that. Yeah. You know, so the stuff that we heard and it sounded crazy and outrageous to us, that's happening in the safest part of the world for women. You know, the majority, there's so many parts of the world and I would argue even the majority of the world where a woman could be assaulted, abused, and there's no consequences. Yeah. You know, I remember I had a friend who was in the Sudan a couple of years ago and they had reported a rape and the police officer says oh okay well he just has to marry her now and that was his consequence he has to marry her for raping her what i realized in going on that journey is that there's an opportunity if we can reshape the way that boys think about girls then we can reshape the world so what are some of the things that how does the program work how are the, give give the listeners a little bit of a yeah, sneak peek yeah. into what is it that you're teaching them? How is it laid out? How long does it take? Yeah, the program has always been to focus on middle school students and where we would encourage, you know, a five core values, honor, obedience, nobility, ownership, respect, you know, and so those were our five key principles. And those that actually built into four other honor virtues where it was compassion and character, not just between boys and girls, but just human values that, you know, unfortunately the world lacks so much and you know caring about other people thinking about somebody other than yourself and so teaching those things and what we're working towards now is turning that into an after-school program for middle school students so oh, nice. we would um it would be a, a three-tier thing where you would the, the kids would almost go and have a cross-fittish experience where they would exercise with with friends they would do their homework in the same environment with uh, with high school mentors who get their community service hours so you have this three-tier thing happening at the same time parents have a, a safe place to leave their kids and then the goal out of that eight years in eighth grade is that that eighth grader now goes to the high school or tags up with his high school big brother big sister becomes a junior senior comes back to their yeah comes back oh, and love then, it yeah love exactly it. and so now we've, we're building a culture 
any stories that you can share, any anything that any moments when you've realized, oh man, this is working. This is this is paying off, right? Because it's it's something that is going completely against yeah. what all of society is trying to teach these boys, right? Mm-hmm. So you're kind of going against the grain. Mm-hmm. Give me some some insight into times when you felt like, okay, this is working. This oh, is worth it. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I see it all the time. And um, a couple of years ago, I was in this small, um, it was like a small gathering, you know, and this was before Carly Fiorina ran for president. And she, you know, obviously she was the CEO of Hewlett Packard and all that kind of stuff. And I remember she said something to me, that she said something to the group that I thought was so profound. Never underestimate that people just need to know. And I think sometimes, like what I've found interesting is that we think it's this, this profound idea that you have to break this and break that and you know tear all this stuff apart. And sometimes people have just never been told. You know, and if if that if the boy at my lunch table when I was in the eighth grade would have said something else, we probably would have thought the other thing. You know, so it's like we it's not as complex as we think, you know, and like I always say, we're not us humans. We're not as bad as they say we are. You know, we just we we sometimes we're sheep and we just go off in in odd directions. And and I think we're just at a time now where we just need to to um, we need a new a new message. And how I've shared it is that we need a, a, a new a retraining of our culture. What was it that put you on that path yeah, you of know, wanting that, to do that? that? That's the question I get asked a lot. And I, five, six, seven years later, I still don't have a, well, this is the moment ha- when it happened. You know, you know, if you save me, God, I'll, you know, don't, if you save me from this accident, I promise I will do good things. There, right. There is no moment like that, really. And that's why I really feel that it's, how I've described it, it's bigger than me. So it's not something that I feel like was just because I wanted to do it. I think it was something that I'm called to do. I had an aunt um, when I was, uh, I think, just out of high school, who her ex-husband actually assaulted assaulted her one night um, and almost almost killed her. And I mean, just thinking through that, I think probably just my early memories of seeing that, I think I've always wanted to be in, in a world where women were more protected. But I think from where I felt the most called, um, I was in South Africa, and we were working at this uh, trauma center and they, the numbers of rape are just astronomical. It's ridiculous how, you know, what happens in child rape and, you know, and so much of it happens within the family. And wow. I was, um, I, I had, I somehow I messed up my flight uh, getting to South Africa, so the, to Johannesburg. So the group went on ahead of me and they had been on the ground like two, three days before I got there. I think they got in on Saturday. I didn't get in until like Monday. Um, Monday night, to got, you know, got on the got moving with them Tuesday morning, and when they were working with the ladies, because the ladies had grew up in the in the community and they were trying to help a lot of the younger victims, and the group that my group suggested that they wanted to take some pictures with the residents, with folks there in the community, just so to help with fundraising and all that kind of stuff. You know, let's create a pamphlet, let's create right. some visuals, and. When she, when they said, okay, why don't we take some picture with some of the men? The women would not have any of any of it. And what they said, what they basically, what their feeling was, the men are the reason why we're in this situation. Because if they change their behavior, even if they're not the ones that are doing the rape, they're not doing anything to stop the rape. Right. You know. So she's like, no, we're not being. And so I, I realized when I got there, um, 
<laughs> they probably looked at me with an odd face as well, too. But when they found out what I was doing and why I was there, their entire demeanor changed towards me. And I was uh, probably one of the only men that they actually saw as one of them, you know, because the men in their community ultimately were allowing this to happen. Wow. Yeah. So I think for me, that was like, okay, this is what I am called to do, you know, and this is what um, I, I'm supposed to use my voice for. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, look, as a dad of two daughters mm -hmm. who in a few years will, you know, <laughs> in a really long time, they'll, I, I think they'll, they're going to start dating by the time they're 30. That's <laughs> what I always say. Mm -hmm. um, but it Ideally. gives me hope that, you know, <laughs> I, thank you for what you're doing because it gives me hope of them being able to find, you know, gentlemen that will honor them and take care of them and just be who, yeah. who they should be. Right. So you're going out, you're doing all of these amazing things all over the world, but you're also looking at your own backyard. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget going back to that, to the topic of Toastmasters. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll never forget one speech that you gave, or it was a, maybe a table topics mm -hmm. or a speech. You were going on about like all the amazing things that are happening in Brickell mm -hmm. and how, you know, it's awesome to know the latest coffee shop that opened up and the newest movie theater and the newest bar and mm -hmm. all of this. But then you ask the simple question, but where do people go for hope? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I've always been into uh, this. Um, I guess I've always been into the global idea. And as much as I can think about what's happening throughout the globe, I think we should always, um, the, the, the quickest way to, to, to fix the world is to be a good neighbor, you know? And I think we lose sight of that all the time because especially now we're in this political firestorm and there's so much negativity around us and it's this side versus that side. And we, we, we think that so much of our solutions are going to come from CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or this guy or that guy or this party or that party. But the, the best, the, the fastest way to create a better world is taking care of my neighbor. And I just felt that, you know, I, I, I've always loved being in Brickell. I wanted to be in Brickell before I lived in Brickell, you know, years before. Like for me, I, I had thought about years ago, moving to, to New York City. And when, you know, for me, it's not the same thing, but I've always said Brickle is, you know, like my New York without a dirty subway, you know? So, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, in the, we, people that were here before us will say, you know, we were here when none of this existed, all these high rises, high rises and fancy buildings, they weren't all here. And so it popped up so quickly and there's so many people, but we're, it kind of feels like we're disconnected, you know, that there are so many people that are struggling. There's so many people that really don't have a, a place to, to go and, and to feel like, you know what, I can, I can meet a friend here. I can, you know, I can, um, I can be around people that care about me. And so that was a real thing for me. And I had heard about um, a few suicides that had happened in the build in the, in the community. And I, you know, I just wanted to do something about that. I wanted to create a space where, where people can come and gather together and, and be healthy and happy and, you know, have fun and, and encourage one another and also do something good for the world, you know? And I, because I think um, what I've learned also too, is that the people who have the most hope are those who give people hope. I, I see a lot of people that um, sometimes are depressed and then you see other people who are like incredibly joyful. And if you if you look at their conditions and their day-to-day -day lives, there's no real connection to being like, you know, I live here and I have this to being happy. And then you have you see other people who or in other positions who are just like not worried about all the material things and but they're focused and they're helping somebody do something 
anywhere and you find that they have a lot more more hope. And so I found that that was a big part of it as well, too. So, you know, the Brick of Soul concept was always to to connect um, this very, very large community to something greater um, for for ourselves and then ourselves, you know, and, and creating a better, warmer community in the middle of it while doing that. And so give give the listeners a little, uh, explain to the listeners what they can expect, yeah. where it is, yeah, how yeah. the whole thing works, everything. Yeah, well, you know, 609 Brickle Avenue is uh, some of the best real estate left in America, actually, that's not, <laughs> that's not been developed. And so I was, I, was, I was very blessed to be able to work with um, First Miami and create an outdoor space and where, for the community together. So starting um, next year, on January 6th, as of right now, we're going to actually start offering um, kickboxing classes and yoga classes and boot camp and all that stuff for, for the community to come out. Thursday nights, we're going to do uh, a charity night. So we're going to pick charities that we want to support and just come together and throw a party for them and, you know, just completely gather and, and do um, do good in the world. Yeah. But um, I think more than anything, it's just um, being communal. And then one of the things that we even focus on on the weekends, you know, like yourself, you have two young kids and you've heard all, I hear people all the time that it's just so hard for us here in Brickell um, to find things to do with our family and being able to have, so seeing kids running around on the green space that we've created right. has been really, really encouraging to see that we we solved the problem, you know, we met a need. And so we're going to, we want to continue to do that. That's awesome. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So is it, cause I know that I, I think it was, what was it? Maybe like a year or yeah. so ago mm-hmm. that you had like this pilot right. going on and mm-hmm. everything. Is it kind of the same setup, like food trucks? Yeah, and like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. It's, it's food truck, a lot more curated now, but yeah, it's uh, we, we were able to get some green down some turf and it, 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 it looks good. It feels good. Um, uh, I had one of our mutual friends stop by last week and they didn't even know that it existed. And it's just, it, but it's been really encouraging to see the responses that people give when they, when they actually see the space and they encounter it. So we just want to really build off of that, you know, and build, um, build into it and continue to be creative. How is life different than you expected it to? Like, was, was this what you always envisioned you, you would be doing by, by this time? What, what was this, or is it any different than what you imagined for yourself? No, um, you know, I don't, um, <laughs> this is so funny. I, I just finished, um, writing an op-ed and when I was, when I first came to America and I was in the fifth grade and I got bullied a lot and it was, it wasn't, it wasn't so easy to make friends. And I, um, I kind of found like enjoyment in like some TV, like I was a big fan of professional wrestling, you know, and I was, you know, things I would see on TV. So, you know, even the, the good wrestler, you know, I know it's all an act now. We know that now. But the one, you know, the, the guys that would encourage you, you know, stay in school, you know, eat your vegetables, do that kind of stuff. I was kind of drawn to that because I was like, OK, they're inspiring me to do something good. You know, and I uh, I was in doing something with a new guy code in, in Medellin, Colombia, um, uh, two years ago. And someone asked me, like, is there a woman who inspired you? And this, and I said, yeah, you know, actually it was Princess Diana. And as a kid, I just saw her life and, you know, maybe naive or maybe I was, or maybe I wasn't, but I just saw that she would always out helping people. And I always felt like that's who, that's the kind of person I wanted to be, even as a kid. So, you know, I I try not to, you know, say, well, this is what I'm going to do or be at this age. But um, what I don't, what I know is that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. 
You know, even when it's challenging, even when it's hard, even when people, you know, we, we built this amazing uh, green space for the community. Uh, just today, I realized that somebody stole something, you know, and then you realize, you know, but you can't give up on, yeah, you can't give up on people. Though, and there you know? goes the saying, you can't have nice things yeah, in Miami, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, but, but, you know, that, that will make you not want to, to do stuff, but you, you know, you got to have to push through that. Going back to where we started with the NBA thing, I remember being a teenager thinking I was going to be one of them. You know, but I, but so being in the locker room in a different seat now, it's kind of encouraging to to say, okay, you can do even do more. Um, you know, with your six foot seven frame, and so it's. Um, I don't uh, know if it was if I knew this is what I was going to be doing at this time, but I know I know for sure this is what I'm supposed to be doing at this time. Love it. So you mentioned Princess Diana as someone who who was a big influence in yeah. you in your life, yeah. and and that kind of shaped. Your, your future, any other people or, or mm -hmm. maybe books even, or anything yeah. like that, that you, mm -hmm. that you look back and you go, man, this had, this really had a big impact in, in how my life played out, how I yeah. started shaping my life. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to sound like a rapper at the hip hop awards, but I'm actually, this is actually true, but you know, for me, my, my day starts with two things. And these are the most important parts of my day is my first part of my day starts with my own devotion and prayer. It starts with me reading um, scripture, which I, I find is what gets me, what motivates me, what teaches me. And then it's my exercise. So from a book perspective, yeah, I, I don't, you know, not to be, to sound generic, um, but it, it's the truth. It's the book I read the most. It's, it's, it's what teaches me to, to love my enemies, to do good to those who hate me and, you know, even pray for those who want to persecute me and do harm to me. And so even though I don't act those things out, I, that's what I aspire to always, you know, and when I don't, then I ask for forgiveness from a person, you know, my, I think my dad, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones that had a really, really phenomenal dad. And just the way that <laughs> speaking of going um, about the new guy code stuff, the, my, my dad, I can't, I can't, I still can't think, don't think I've ever heard my dad say anything, one thing that was so profound, you know? But his actions were so so real and true and genuine. And one of those things that I, he always honored my mother and the way that he's always treated my mother, I think what it does to you, as a, especially as a, as a male child, is really, really powerful. And so from a person, like a real, I think my dad's just been such a great inspiration for me. And, um, and he had his story um, of how he was raised. He had every reason to be a statistic. He had every reason to be the other guy. But he wasn't, and I think that that made all the difference for me. So, yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Going back to the to the book and mm -hmm. reading the Bible in the mornings and everything. Any particular books that you tend to gravitate towards that that really speak to you? Any verses in particular that you? Yeah, you know, it's that, that's so funny too because I, I like again, I, I don't. You watch every hip hop award and. That guy's like, man, first of all, I want to thank God for, you know, for blessing me, you know, thank God for blessing me with this award for my number, my song, you know, suck my, suck my this, you dirty this, right, you yeah, know, exactly. thank God, thank you for blessing that, you know, so it, it can sound so like, you know, you yeah, I almost exactly. feel like a fool even saying that, but truthfully, I, I'm, I've, I, you know, I, I, I became serious about my faith when I was in college and I can remember one summer, one, it was a Christmas break and we had a couple of weeks off and I was still in Miami 
And I remember I felt like I was just devouring the scriptures. I mean, I, I went, that's when I started my Starbucks addiction and I would go there and I mean, I'd like power through like three, four Frappuccinos in one sitting and just read, 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 read. So I think that was so good for me at that time because I covered so much ground. The, um, but my last year in college, um, one of the things I realized was that there was just not a lot of guys who were about on campus that were about noble and honorable things. Right. And, um, this one passage came to mind for me. It was like, never grow weary in doing good for in due season, you will reap a reward if you, if you don't give up. So never grow tired of doing the right thing, basically. And I think that's always, for me, that was so big at that time. And it still is, you know, don't grow tired of, of doing the right thing. Never grow tired of, you know, never grow weary. Any other quotes that you often think of or that you try to live by? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of my, my favorites, I'm, it's uh, I should know the, the person who said it, but um, I think for me in my time where I am, I, I do, I don't know where this message is going to go, but I do know it's a, it's a unique message. There's a quote that says, you know, they who do right, do what's right in their own time have lived for all times, you know, and ultimately I just, I think that's just what I want the motto of my life to be is that I did, I did what was right when it was my time. Doing what's right often comes with struggles yeah right because mm -hmm. there's natural resistance Absolutely. right um are there any times or any examples that you can think back of mm -hmm. of like times that you've kind of met some resistance and how do you how do you go through dealing with that yeah yeah you know it's it, it can be anything it could be um it, it could be a business thing where someone tries to use your kindness against you you know they I, I'm in a situation where I may contract someone to do something and they may do a, a, a poor job and try to say, well, you, you as a man of faith shouldn't, shouldn't object this or, you know, should just accept the work. And so you have to, you find this like false guilt of like, should I have paid them? Should I have not, you know, should I pay, right. you know, that kind of stuff. And so it's really tricky trying to balance those things, you know, because you always want to be fair. And, and I tend to more than, more than likely, I'll take the 40 and you can keep the 60 if that maintains the peace. But trying to find that balance where people are just trying to take advantage of you, you know, and um, and then you also do it. You know, I mean, one of the things, too, that when I even have to tell boys this is that one of the greatest struggles that a boy will face in trying to live an honorable life towards girls is what happens when the girls don't do the right thing. What happens when they break your heart? What happens when they do crappy things, you know? And you still have to continue to to believe in in um, in the message, to believe in doing the right thing. Uh, but you know, um, Tony Dungy said something a couple of years ago when um, he won the Super Bowl, one of the last Super Bowls in in Miami. And for years, he was like the 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 opposite of other coaches. You know, he coaches you kind of you sleep at the office. You don't go home until the off season, basically. And he would often forces coaches to go home. Like you have to leave the office by this time and your card won't even let you in the office before this time. So there's no sense in going and coming. So it was more so like he was telling them, I want you to, to drive your kids to school in the morning. I want you to be with your family. And that just seemed like a ridiculous concept in, in the NFL. And after he finally won a championship, when people were saying that, that idea, that won't work, he says, I wanted to prove that you can do things the right way and still win, you know? And I think I, I'm, I'm driven to, to not do what the other guy does. Do you have any favorite 
failures of yours. And by that, I mean something that at the moment may have seen like a, like a failure or something that went wrong. But later on, you realize, oh my God, thank God that happened because it's put me on this other path Mm -hmm. or it was this other door opening. Absolutely. I had a high school coach that wouldn't allow me to play football. And so I played mostly basketball in high school. And after playing junior college basketball, I was like, you know, I want to play football. And um, at the time, it was like 2001, um, my, my girlfriend, who was a year older at that time, was, had came down from West Palm and she was going to FIU. And I was like, okay, I want to be in a big city and I want to play football, University of Miami. And I mean, I, I trade hard all summer to, to be there, to play football too, you know, to be a part of, of the team and ultimately to go on beyond the team. And I, I remember coming to Miami and I was like, I don't like this at all, you know, and still to this day, I enjoy watching football. I just don't enjoy playing it. I didn't, I never, it wasn't the thing I loved. And so you feel like you invested so much time in something and like right. here, like, what am I even doing here in Miami? But ultimately, if it wasn't for those experiences, I certainly wouldn't want be where I am today. Um, that my faith journey began as a part of that team with the chaplain. But also you, you learn about excellence. You learn that they weren't, they didn't win the national championship just because of their jerseys or because um, of they had these guys. Yes, yeah, a big part of it, but they had, they had, they had built a culture that they worked hard. And, you know, I remember my, one of my first experiences coming into, into the, the team, I remember they had just won the national championship. And I think the score was 35 to 14, completely destroyed um, the other team and was the number one team in the country. And they were reviewing game tape from the game and talking about mistakes that they had made during the game. Wow. And I'm like, that was, I had never experienced anything like that. Usually if you won, it was good. But, yeah. If you lost, that was bad. But then you start to realize that there are some people, there are some great organizations, great people live with a standard. And it wasn't the standard, it wasn't the opponent. The standard was the standard that they had for, set for themselves. So even though they had won convincingly, they had fell below their standards in some way. And that was a big, big um, learning for me. And even though I, I was so frustrated being a part of it, it didn't go out the way that I wanted to. You know, I just feel like I didn't want to be here. And I was like, I wasted so much time. I invested money in, you know, these camps and all that kind of stuff. But I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without that. And ultimately, the alumni benefits and privileges that I have now um, are just amazing. You know? right, right. So what is n- coming up next for Che? Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things. So under the, where we started with the honor, the new guy code, which was an honor concept. And now we've created this whole thing called the honor movement. And that's honormoves.com. You can see a little bit about these, about, you know, you can get the information at honormoves.com. What I'm really actually working on right now is that, uh, is this concept with the, um, with the aftercare for middle schoolers so we we're looking at the shipping container design that we believe could be transformative okay. for um, communities and for schools because it's it's easy it's cost effective you know you're you're mobile there's this image that um i, I i've seen which is so great that I, I think it was i forgot what it was it was a south american country where they had built this phenomenal bridge because they were dealing with flooding and to get over this river and they built this amazing bridge that was going to solve the community's problems but the, the river moved let me say so now you have this amazing bridge that 
is, right. is you have to uh, be nimble yeah, exactly because it, yeah so using this i feel like what people do to um for after school programs and all that kind of stuff it's you know the cost of construction and all this kind of stuff i think we're going to solve a huge problem in our culture and you're going to be able to teach the values that we want in safe places in a, in a, in a very very unique way so working on that next year there's a really cool idea i have for for publishing the books so uh, I'll probably have to share that a little bit more about that later, but I'll say this. I, if we are able to do this, it'll be the first time it's ever been done. Nice. Um, so uh, cool. we, we, we do believe that other people will do it afterwards, but it will be one of the most radical things that we've ever done. In a, in a love book. it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So switching gears into the Miami rapid fire segment, mm -hmm. um, as we have in every episode, just going to fire off a couple of questions. Yeah. First thing that comes to mind, mm -hmm. favorite Miami food spot and dish. Ooh, you, as probably Jamaican chicken, Jamaica kitchen and the curry chicken. Okay. You know, even though I'm Jamaican, Where is that? that's like, uh, off of sunset in 87 sunset in Galloway. Okay. Yeah, so uh, curry chicken, even though I'm Jamaican and I can get that at home anytime. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's good stuff, man. Like you still, you eat it on Friday, you'll still smell curry on your fingers on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Mm -hmm. um, favorite way to spend a Miami weekend for you? You know, when I'm not engaged in the game, I I'm actually a, a huge NBA fan. So just sitting at a game and just relaxing, that's for me, it's like what, People, the experience that people get when they go golfing or boating, it's it's extremely re relaxing for me. So, uh, NBA, whether it's you know a UM basketball game, or a Heat game, or I mean, I would honestly even go to a, a high school tournament and watch basketball all day. For me, I just get, it's very peaceful for me and very relaxing. Um, if not, uh, I also I like to jet ski as well too. Okay. Yeah. If you're stuck in Miami traffic or moving around Miami, what are you listening to? Either I think a, a podcast. Um, I've been listening to a lot of how I built this, okay. um, or some sports radio, you know, some, some FS one or something like talk radio. Okay. Very cool. Any other business, any other Miami people or businesses that you would like to give a shout out to that you think they're doing amazing stuff and, and are worth highlighting? You know, the past couple of weeks I've been going on Sunday mornings and I've been sitting in with uh, homeless families and home and homeless in the homeless community at the um, the chapman partnership and so we go there and we you know uh serve some food and we hang out with them and even do a service with them on sunday morning so being able to experience that and give people hope um, i think the chapman partnership has been fantastic um there's organizations like the glory house that are rescuing women who've been trafficked touching miami with love which i'm on the board of who does after school programs in, in overtime so these are all people that do amazing great work um not to mention all the other phenomenal businesses and friends that you and i both know right great right things. anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to kind of share with the listeners mm -hmm. anything that we missed not really you know i think for me it's just you know continuing to be uh Reminding myself personally, and I guess for, uh, I think the thought that, that I've had lately, you know, it's been a, a challenging year in many ways. And, but I've also had to remind myself not to give up, you know, don't give up whatever, whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're struggling through, you know, continue to push forward. And I, and I really do believe the best is yet to come, you know, and I, I find that, um, and I hear so many, 
so many stories of people who are just having a hard time or just struggling who are just like they can't just wait we can't wait for just this year to be over because it's just such a, a rough year so i think if anything i was going to say to the listeners just continue to continue to move continue to to keep pushing continue to keep grinding and believe the best is yet to come perfect love it that's a fantastic way to close it out what is the best way for people to reach out to connect with you well I, obviously i had my my personal social platforms uh Shay Garfield Scott and you know if on my Insta, but um we check out honormoves.com and to get a, a better idea of what the honor movement is and what we're looking to do. Love it, love it. And Shay. for Brickle community, Brickle Soul. <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah, we'll make sure to link to all of that stuff on the show notes so that people can find all of that information. Jay, thank you so much, man. Yeah, thanks, brother. Hey guys, this is Corrado again. Two quick things before you take off. One, remember that you can find detailed show notes for every single episode at miamicreators.com. And two, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share this with someone you think would find it interesting. That's it. Until next time, thank you for listening.